Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything. Thank you that we could wake up this morning. Thank you that we could safely be here, that we could just worship you, that we could look to such an awesome God who is so faithful, who fulfills all of his promises, even when we fail constantly time and again. And God, we just pray that this morning would just be a sweet offering to you, that as we, we deliver this message, as we receive this message of yours, we just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill this place? Would you open our hearts, open our minds, our ears and our eyes just to, to receive what you have in store and help us not to just let it be just a message, but let us apply it to our lives every day as we continually look to you. God, we love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus Christ, our Savior's name, that we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, as we begin our sermon today, you'll notice that we're going to take another week of a break from 1 Corinthians on our series there. And instead, we're going to focus a little bit on missions. You see, missions are critical to everything that we do, and we want to get into a healthy rhythm of constantly injecting missions into everything that we do, including sermons. And as such, we want to take some time here to cover a passage that's not often thought of when it comes to missions within the church. Now, of course, anytime we think about missions in the church, our brains usually focus on that great commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples. Or even Romans chapter 10, where the Apostle Paul discusses the need for the word to be preached so that others can come to faith. However, as I was in prayer asking the Lord to guide me to a passage that covers some missional aspect, God put this chapter, he put this book on my heart to exposit this morning. And as I began my study and my prep, I began to see why, as this passage, this chapter, really it does a truly remarkable job of showcasing the gospel, all while pointing to a missional calling. To see it, however, we first need to do some background homework and review where we are in the biblical story to this point in time. So let's do a quick recap of Genesis so we can best understand our passage here today. That is, starting in chapter 1, we see that God creates everything, right? It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Everything seems well. Everything seems good. Fast forward to just two chapters later in chapter 3, and what do we see? Mankind makes this ill-fated decision to rebel against God and seek autonomy for themselves. And this causes the great fall leading to the death and destruction of this world. Now, technically, technically, the story should have stopped there. It should have ended. God should have said, no more. I'm done with these people. I've had enough. This was a fun experiment, but no more. Instead, however, what does God do? He immediately sets creation back in order, he instills some curses, and he banishes man from the Garden of Eden out of a loving act of grace and mercy so we can't do any further damage to ourselves. And then we go to chapter 4, and then we learn about Cain and Abel, and we learn about the first human murder in which Cain kills Abel out of jealousy. And this sadly shows this downhill trend in which mankind grows more rebellious, more sinful, more out of control. In fact, things get so bad that God decides he's got to flood the earth in chapters 6 through 9, wiping out everything. Yet again, though, God shows his love 
his grace, and his mercy in initiating a covenant with Noah to save his family and two of every creature. And of course, we know because of this, Noah does everything exactly right. He gets it perfect, right, guys? No, no, he doesn't. Unfortunately, he and his sons fall into the same sinful, evil pattern again. Then we fast forward to chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel, in which all mankind comes together and says, we're going to make a name for ourselves. We don't need God. Look at what we can do. They're, again, rebellious. They're prideful. So surely this time, right, after the same action keeps repeating itself again and again, God is going to wipe out everything for good, right? Nope. Rather, God continues to show his amazing character and being graceful and loving as it's now been easily over four times in just 11 chapters. Four times in 11 chapters that mankind has turned from him in the most rebellious of ways. And yet God lovingly provides punishment and corrects them by scattering these peoples and confusing their languages. Now it's here all of a sudden that the story of Genesis takes a sudden shift. We start to focus in on one family, one line in particular, throughout the rest of this book that has an impact on the rest of scriptures for everyone. We start to focus in on Abraham. And I think with this quick recap, we're set up to read our first nine verses in Genesis chapter 12. So go ahead, open up your Bibles. Let's turn to them and read the first nine verses together. All right. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, in all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah, at the time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the east of Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord, and Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. As we pause here, we look at these, these first nine verses, I want you to notice something. Because when God calls Abraham, there's absolutely no special qualifying indicator. There's nothing. That is, when we read this text, we simply see that the story shifts to Abraham and his family line, right? But it never says that God called Abraham because he was so awesome or that he had these special qualities that made him worthy. Heck, we're not even told that Abram sought the Lord. Rather, what did the text actually do? It showed us that God sought Abram. And what's more, when we see that when Abram is called by the Lord, he's only called to do one thing, to go from his country and his father's house into the land that the Lord will show him. 
Now, of course, that was a big ask because back in those times and in that culture, generations of families, they lived together. That's what they did. That was where their social economic status came from. That was their security. Here, however, God is asking Abram to leave all of that behind and to follow him, to place him first in his life. And how do we know that God is asking him to put him first in his life? Well, God continues to do it today. If we look back to Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus states, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You see, Jesus makes it clear to us that God must come first. And that helps us to understand why God is asking Abram to do the very same thing in this passage. And of course, in focusing back on Abram now, as hard as it must have been to leave his family, if you really think about it, God wasn't asking him to do something that he was not capable of. He doesn't tell Abraham that he needs to jump through all these hoops to be blessed. He doesn't even tell him he has to find this new land on his own, does he? No, God tells Abram to go to the land that he will show him. Abraham doesn't have to pull out MapQuest. He doesn't have to pull out his cell phone, use GPS like we do, or at least for me. Rather, he's got the ultimate GPS in God. And the Lord is asking Abraham to simply place his trust, his faith in him, as he will literally take care of everything. And think about that. Because in a matter of just three verses, our first three verses in this text, God states five times, five times how he will do something, how he will show Abram the land, how he will make Abram into a great nation, how he will further bless him and bless the families of all the earth because of him. You see, God is doing two things here. He's making promises to both bless Abraham, and he's also making promises to make Abraham into a blessing for others, a mediator of a blessing. Even later on in verse 7, we see that he reconfirms this promise to Abraham, telling him he's going to give him his offspring, or his offspring the land, and they're, they're, how they're going to be able to see that. And what does Abraham have to do in all of this again? Nothing. Zip. Zilch, nada. Instead, all he has to do is receive this free gift and respond to it by having faith and following God. Now, I want you to think about how revolutionary that was. Think about it. Because especially back in that time, in those countries where they were worshiping just about anything and everything, right? What did they typically do? Let me worship and promise these gods something so that maybe, maybe they might bless me. Yet, here we have the opposite happening. Here we have the one true God initiating things to call upon and bless his creation. And further yet, remember that in the previous chapters at the Tower of Babel, mankind tried to make a name for themselves, right? But here, what is God doing? What is he saying? No, I will make a name for you. You just turn and you follow me. And so if you're taking notes, I think that's the very first point that we can start to draw from our text, that the Lord calls us to himself. Again, if you're taking notes, the Lord calls us to himself. Think about it. We just read how Abram didn't call on the Lord to begin with. Rather, the Lord called Abraham to follow him. And that's a pattern of truth we see time and time again in Scripture. 
For instance, look at Noah and how the Lord called upon him to build an ark. Look at Moses and how the Lord called to him from a burning bush to lead his people out of Egypt. Look at the prophet Isaiah, how he received his calling from the Lord in a vision. Better yet, look at the New Testament where God calls John the Baptist to prepare the way for him. More importantly, look at Jesus Christ and how he personally called upon each of his disciples to follow him, to include the Apostle Paul of the events of Damascus Road. You see, the Lord is the one who initiates his call for us to follow him, not the opposite. And we know this is true because if we truly examine ourselves, we know we didn't call on the Lord. He called us. I'll use myself as an example because I can freely admit that when I came out of my mother's womb, the first thing on my mind was not, I'm looking to the Lord. Wasn't there. Rather, growing up, I was in and out of church only because my parents dragged me. I didn't want to be there. I didn't choose to go on my own. Are you kidding me? I wanted to stay home and play Nintendo and watch cartoons in my jammies. And sadly, when I became an adult, everything got perfect and I got it all right. No! Things stayed the same. I made excuses. Everything you can think of in the book that I didn't want to go. I can't afford to go this Sunday. I've got something to do at the house. I don't know if I want to sit through that. Perhaps the better way to state this is I didn't seek after God. And yet, yet, he sought after me. He kept calling out to me through all of these instances, all of these opportunities, knowing that eventually one day in the culmination of all of those events, I would accept and receive his free gift and respond to him by following him. He sought after me because he is faithful to his word, as the Apostle Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that God doesn't wish any of us to perish, but rather that everyone would instead repent, turn to him. And I'm willing to bet that here today, each and every one of us in this sanctuary, we can attest to the same thing in our lives. Because the truth is, there is no way you could have turned to God and first called upon him in his name if he hadn't been revealed to you. Through his word, through his scripture, or by somebody coming alongside you and pointing you to him. Now, maybe as you sit here or listen to this message, maybe this is the first time that you've heard about Jesus and how he's calling you. Maybe you're even wondering right now if God has, in fact, ever called you. So let me take some time right now to let you know and assure you, God is calling you. God is calling you because for some reason, you're here today. You're in this sanctuary at this very time, and this is the message that the Lord has prepared for you. My family, the Bible makes clear that our awesome God is in sovereign control, and he knew exactly what he was doing in bringing you here, ensuring you heard his call today. So unknowing this, I implore you, take the next steps. Answer his call to bless you by receiving the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, by responding to him in faith, by following him. And if you don't know how, that's okay, because again, the Lord knows what he's doing. He has placed brothers and sisters beside you here in this sanctuary We'd love to come alongside you. That's the greatest honor and privilege we can have. With this, though, let's let's focus back in on our text, because as we do, we'll see that Abraham has received this amazing call, this, this blessing that's all free, and all he has to do is respond. And of course, one will think, he'll he'll ace this part of the deal. He's got it. You know, homie fails right off the bat. Okay. 
How so? Well, look at verse 1, where God states, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Now look at verse 4, where it says, Abram went as God told him. And then we have this little thing we see a lot in the Bible, a conjunction called and, right? In which we see who comes along with him? Lot, his nephew. So here we see that immediately Abraham doesn't follow what God states, but rather partially obeys him. And as a result of Abram's failure to fully obey God, we learn in the later chapters of Genesis that soon Abram and Lot, they're going to have to split up. This is going to cause problems because they have too many possessions in the land. In fact, it gets so bad that when they do split up, Lot goes down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you're familiar with scriptures, Sodom and Gomorrah don't do too well. No, rather, God destroys it with fire and sulfur. But first, now he's got to go rescue Lot. So we see that Abram's partial obedience to God became nothing but a nuisance. Yet in spite of this, the Lord still shows up in verse 7 to let Abraham know his offspring would one day inherit the land he was journeying through. And you know what's really cool about this account is that when God shows up and meets Abram at the city of Shechem, this isn't the only time he'll meet people here in this very place. But you see, the city of Shechem was considered like the center point in the land in Canaan, otherwise now known as modern-day Palestine and Israel. And while God met with Abram here and made an extraordinary promise to bless him and to give his offspring this land, this location would have significant relevance in the rest of scriptures. In fact, Jacob's well would be established here in Genesis chapter 33. Joseph would later be buried here in Joshua chapter 24. And in that very same chapter, Joshua himself would later make a covenant with Israel, renewing their commitment to God. But perhaps the coolest thing that takes place in this very spot occurs in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John chapter 4. Because again, this time God makes an appearance in person in the person of Jesus Christ, as he meets a Samaritan woman at a well to let her know that the Messiah has arrived. Simply, place, or simply put, this was a place of great significance in the Bible and one that Abram used to meet God at as he builds an altar to him. Now, to Abram's credit, notice how he never got to stay in this land, but rather pitched a tent through it as he continued journeying on. Instead, God's promise to one day give his offspring the land that was enough for Abram to believe. That's amazing. Because think about the faith that took Abram to believe in the Lord. Because remember, at the beginning of this text, we're told he's 75 years old. 75. Could you imagine at 75 the Lord telling you that you're going to become a great nation? And again, your offspring will inherit this land, knowing all the while your wife Sarai, she's barren. And he knows this because in chapter 11, towards the end of it, verse 30, we're told that Abram can't have kids. It's not possible. Sarai, she is barren. Yet what man sees is impossible, God knows is possible, as he carries about his goodwill, his purposes. And Abram didn't question it. Rather, he believed God and followed him in faith. Let's move ahead and read to the rest of the story in verses 10 through 20. So again, break out your Bibles. Let's read together. All right, starting at verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. 
Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And after reading this, obviously we've got to pause. We've got to reflect on what's just occurred because there's a lot going on here. That is, Abram is failing to obey the Lord on multiple accounts. First, he tells his wife to act as his sister, which is kind of weird because it's a half-truth. We find out in Genesis chapter 20, verse 12, she actually is his half-sister. But I don't want you to focus on that. What I want you to see is he was trying to be deceptive. He was worried for his own back, his own life. He didn't believe that the Lord could protect him in this. And so what does he try and do? He tries to circumvent things on his own. Isn't the same true of us today when we tell half lies? We try and circumvent things. Things just go horribly. But again, in analyzing this deceptive lie of Abraham's, I got to tell you something. Man, Sarai must have been something really special at the age of 60-something to really outshine everyone else. I mean, I can honestly say that I know of absolutely no woman whatsoever that could pull... You, baby, you could totally do that, Rachel. That's my Rachel. She could do that. Okay. But as we're moving forward here, um, guys, let me tell you something. Never actually pass off your wife as your sister. That's a crash course in today's world for actually getting murdered. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, if the Lord doesn't strike you dead, your wife surely will. So don't do that. Don't do that. On a serious note, though, commentators do believe that there is a sound theory behind why Sarai is so beautiful. Remember that they live a long time compared to us. Abraham lived to 175, and Sarai was about 127. So really, that age was their middle ages. That would have been equated to our 30s, if that makes sense. And getting back on track, however, we see the real issue occurs right from the start is the only reason that Abram's even in Egypt is because he's failing to believe that God can provide for him in the midst of a famine. Remember, God called him to go to the land that he was going to show him. He didn't say go to Egypt. Worse yet, what was the promise that God made to Abraham? It was to become this great nation, right? To have all these offspring, How's that going to happen if he's passing off his his wife as his sister? He's jeopardizing everything. He never once turns to the Lord in prayer and asks for help, but rather he takes matters into his own hands. And in doing so, he does nothing but cause hindrance after hindrance. And it hinders him because Pharaoh does take Sarai, his wife. It hinders him because in verse 16, we find out that Abraham is dealt with kindly by Pharaoh, He gives him many things to include female servants. Well, it turns out that one of those actually happened to be the Egyptian servant, Hagar, 
who he would later try and circumvent the covenant with again by having Ishmael because he didn't believe in God's timing. And you see, what all these failures point to is that Abram is still young in his faith. He's still growing at this stage because he has more fear of a human king than the true king of the universe. I mean, even Pharaoh, after being afflicted, was more afraid of the Lord than Abraham was. He was afraid for his life. He rebuked Abram for everything. He's so afraid that he orders his men not to touch him for fear of what the Lord would do to him. Most of us want revenge, not this guy. He's kicking him out, saying, please get away from me. And this, of course, should stop us in our tracks as we meditate and consider, do we ourselves have a proper fear and knowledge of the Lord? Or are we more afraid of what mankind will do to us? Let me put it this way. Are you more afraid of how your life is going to be affected with what's happening in our country? Happens to be bad news all the time. Shootings, right? The economy's crashing. What are we going to do? All this awful news, this could have packed everything for me. Or do you trust that God's got this and you look to him and you follow him through it because he's the one who sustains you? You see, too often we fear so much of this world and what mankind can do to us. We fear the daily things that may go awry. What if I don't get that promotion at work? What if the boss doesn't like me? We fear more of what others think of us than what God thinks of us. But family, that's not what God is calling us to do. Rather, if you're taking notes, we're called to grow in faith with a proper fear and knowledge of the Lord. Again, if you're taking notes, we are called to grow in faith with a proper fear and knowledge of the Lord. Now again, as we look at how Abram failed to have a proper fear and knowledge of the Lord, I want you to look at the other side of things in this story. I want you to see what God did in the midst of this. Because God didn't abandon Abram and his failures. He didn't fail to uphold his promises to him. He didn't give up on Abram when he destroyed or when he disobeyed him by bringing his nephew Lot. Immediately, right off the bat, he failed. He didn't leave Abram when Abram failed to rely on him in the midst of a famine. God didn't revoke his promise to Abram when he tried to be deceptive and pass off his wife as his sister. No, instead, the Lord ensured his will would be accomplished, for God knew the Messiah was to come from Abram and Sarai's line, and there wasn't any way he was about to let a Gentile king defile her womb. Rather, the Lord continued to protect Abraham through his failings because God's promise never rested on Abraham's abilities to begin with. They rested on his abilities. And so if you're taking notes, the third point I want you to get is that God is faithful in fulfilling his promises. Again, if you're taking notes, I want you to understand that God is faithful in fulfilling his promises. And as you grasp this truth from our text, I want you to see that just like the promise to Abraham to bless him was based off of no merit, of his own, God also chose to bless us based off of no merit of our own. And just like in our story where Abraham simply had to receive and respond to this free gift, while God did all the work in meeting Abraham through his shortcomings, the same is true of us. Think about how amazing and comforting that truly is. I mean, really think about it, because could you imagine if it was on us to save ourselves? Man, we'd be doomed from the start. 
Again, look at Abraham in this story. It's a testament to this. He was given simple instructions from the beginning. Just go, leave your family's house. And he screwed up right from the beginning. He took Lot with him. He failed to trust God in the famine. Tried to give away his wife. I mean, dang, the man failed at every single turn as he was growing in his faith and following God. But with this, as much as we can point to Abraham and go, man, look at this guy. The question we have to ask is, do we not do the same daily? Do we not constantly know that we have Jesus Christ in our lives? We are set free from the power of sin. And yet, what do we do? We sin. I mean, if I asked each of you to raise your hand and admit if you sinned this last week, last month, last year, every single hand would go up in this room. But thankfully, our salvation doesn't rest on our abilities to keep promises and perform certain actions. They rest on Jesus Christ's abilities. And all we have to do is receive and respond to the free gift of grace and salvation the Lord has offered through his son, Jesus Christ. For he's the one who took on flesh in the most humiliating way to set us free. He's the one who fulfilled the 613 laws of the Old Testament in the perfect sinless manner that we never could. He's the one who fulfilled Abram's covenant by truly blessing all the nations of the earth. Without Jesus, that doesn't happen. He's the one who took on our deserved place upon that cross, dying in the most excruciating and painful way, all so that we could be justified in the eyes of God the Father. And thankfully, unlike Abram, we don't have to wait 400 years to see the fulfillment of the promise come true. He had to wait 400 years to actually see that, yes, his offspring do inherit the land. We don't have to wait. The promise of salvation is right there and available immediately to us. We have immediate access to it because Jesus has already done everything. And all we have to do is turn to him. All we have to do is turn to him. Family, simply put, the faithful calling from today's story, it didn't come from Abraham. That faithful calling came from God. And so as we, we look at this text overall, let's get to some application and see how this is actually impactful to missions. I mean, after all, at the start of the sermon, I did talk about that we wanted to cover missions, right? And how, how we go about that and what that means for the church. And while when you first look at this chapter, it may not seem like it has a missional aspect to it, let me assure you, it is well and it is present. We see this text does a wonderful job of capturing the gospel message and shows us two things that we have that are directly impactful to missions. That is, first, we must receive the free gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ given to us by God. Remember that Abraham did absolutely nothing to deserve the blessing that God bestowed upon him in this text. Nothing. In fact, our text tells us that there was nothing that made him righteous before God, but rather that God chose Abram amongst a generation that was, again, getting out of control. All Abram had to do was receive this free gift of a blessing and then respond to God by leaving his family and following the Lord. And if that sounds familiar, that's because I truly hope it is. For like Abram, we have been blessed beyond measure to have Jesus Christ die upon a cross for our sins now and forevermore. And there's absolutely nothing we could do to earn it or deserve it. Rather, the point of this loving act is that it's free. 
And all you have to do is receive it by believing and placing your faith in Christ. And likewise, after you receive that gift, you receive that gift of salvation, a response is required to follow Jesus and be sanctified in the Holy Spirit by looking to him. And so if you're taking notes, the main application I want you to get is I want you to receive and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, I want you to receive and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you see, it's through this application that I want you to see why it's vital to missions. It's the basic building blocks. You cannot go and make disciples as Jesus calls us to do in Matthew 28, 19, 20, if you yourself have not received the gift of the gospel. You can't help lead someone to Christ if you yourself have not actually responded to him. Rather, again, you have to have these basic building blocks. You have to receive and respond to the gospel yourself. And so for those of you who haven't taken these first steps yet, I implore you to receive. Respond to God's call to you today. Remember what we spoke about earlier, knowing that God is calling you at this very moment. And remember, if you're struggling to comprehend that and process it, it's okay. The Lord put brothers and sisters around you who would love to come alongside you. All you have to do is reach out to myself, reach out to Neil, any of our leaders, any of our brothers and sisters here. We would love to do that. We'd love to come alongside you. Now, for those of you who have received and are responding to the gospel, you may be asking, well, where do I go from here? How do I continue on in missions? And to answer this question, I'll again point back to our text today. What did Abraham do? He simply followed God. He didn't have to do anything special. He simply had to follow God who was doing literally all the work for him. And likewise, we as Christians are called to do the same, to just follow God by staying in constant prayer, by preaching the gospel to ourselves daily while following his commands. We're to grow in our spiritual disciplines and spread the gospel in making disciples. So if you accepted Christ into your life and you're not in the word, now's the time to start. And I want you to start by ensuring you set aside maybe just a few minutes each day. That way you can get into a healthy habit. And if you're already doing that, that's wonderful. That's great. But don't stop there. Try to increase upon that. Increase upon your prayer time and your reading time as much as you're able. And moreover, consider taking the next step and looking to see how you can serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. How you can help make disciples. Better yet, I want to challenge you to maybe pray for someone you know who isn't a believer. Or maybe who's fallen away from the church. Maybe someone like your neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. It could be a friend. Maybe it's a family member. And as you do this, I want you to commit to praying to them or praying for them at least every single day for the rest of this year. And if you find that while you're doing this, an opportunity presents itself to invite them over, to break bread with them, take it. If you can invite them to church, do it. But I want you to do one other thing. As you're, as you're doing this, as you're taking on this challenge, I want you to tell a close brother and sister in Christ so that they can check in on you and help keep you accountable. Let's face it, guys. If you're like me, we start out so strong in the first couple days and first couple weeks, and then when it's not in our timing, what do we do? That didn't work. I'm done. We can't do that. We can't afford to do that. 
So find someone to come alongside you as you look to spread the gospel. And the beauty of this is, as you're doing these things, remember God's already done all the heavy lifting. He's done everything on the cross for you. And just like in our story today, God is with us every single step of the way. If we even look to the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, go therefore make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the commandments that I've given you. And behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. And that last sentence, that should provide us with a bold confidence in knowing we don't have to get everything perfectly right. We don't have to do everything right to share the gospel. But yet, if I'm truthful, I find myself constantly having to cling to this very truth. Because the reality is, I'll level with you. Every time I'm given the ability to come up here and preach, God, is such a blessing. I'm so thankful. But man, I'm nervous as all get out. I hate public speaking. But yet this is where God has called me. I'm even more nervous, though, knowing that I'm dealing with God's word. And that means I could screw it up or maybe cause someone to fall away. And let me ask you, how many of you are like me? You're timid. You're scared to share the gospel. Because let's face it, you're afraid you're going to do the same thing, that maybe you might screw up or cause someone to fall away. You won't say the right things. My brothers and sisters, that fear is real. But yet God encourages and reminds us with this text today that we have to let go of that fear. It was never about our abilities to share the gospel to begin with. It was never about our abilities to fulfill the promise. It was about God's abilities to work through us and in spite of us in all of our weaknesses and shortcomings. As God never fails to accomplish His will. So let's cling to this truth and utilize it moving forward as we seek to grow in Christ, as we seek to reach out and make disciples both inside and outside the church. And I tell you what, I'll take the lead on this one. I'll make a deal with you. I have someone that I know that comes to mind for me that I need to be praying for, that I desperately need to share the gospel with. And that's my grandfather, Bill, who's in Washington State. He's on dialysis. He's over 85 years old. And sadly, he hasn't come to Christ yet, and time is of the essence. So my goal is to pray for him every single day, to write him a letter sharing the gospel and the truth is, I don't know what's going to happen, but I would rather try and let God do the work than not. Let God do what he does best. So as I do this over the next few weeks, I encourage y'all, as my brothers and sisters, come alongside me. Ask me how things are going. Jared, are you still in prayer for your grandfather? Have you shared the gospel with him yet? And as you do that, I hope that that will inspire you, that that will help you to do the same, to do the same endeavor in your life, to prod one another as we point people to Christ. And so with that, I can't think of a better way to end this sermon than let's ask the Lord to come alongside us. Let's ask for his strength because we need it. So let's go to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Your word is such a blessing to us. Lord Jesus, you are the ultimate blessing to us. 
where we constantly fail daily. You never do. Where we have come up short, you never have. God, thank you for this. Thank you that we have a Savior. Thank you that you sent your only begotten Son in providing us hope. Hope that you assured for us and did everything. And Father, I pray, help us. Help us to receive this encouraging message this morning. Help us to write it on our hearts, to continually prod one another to look to you. But Father, we need you. This is useless without you, so please, come, on, come among us. Help us to apply it in our lives. Help us to keep our eyes fixated and gazed on you.